Welcome to Healthy Wealthy You, where we'll continue to explore all aspects of functional medicine and good health. We'll help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. Now, here is your host, Dr. Camille Vardy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille. I'm traveling in Europe right now, visiting family. And last week, I went to visit friends who are about 650 miles away. GPS said it would take about 12 hours, and I couldn't leave until midday, so I figured I would get about a third of the way. Well, I kept following my GPS instructions. Turn left here. Take the third exit at the roundabout. Uh Uh-oh, GPS was wrong. That should have been the second exit. Now I have to turn around. Well, After about four hours of that, I was absolutely exhausted. So I found a hotel room and I stopped to check how far I'd gotten. And it said that I'd only driven what should have taken me two hours in four. It had just drained me. And does that mean now I still have 20 hours of driving left? Well, the next day, it wasn't long before I was able to get onto a major freeway. Suddenly, the GPS instruction was, take this road for 430 miles. What a relief. I turned off the GPS and just kept driving straight. It was so relaxing compared to the day before. No decisions to make. Instead of being completely consumed with the drive, I could put my mind into low gear and just enjoy the scenery. I started to think about the difference between my two experiences, and I started to think about this as a metaphor for our lives today. There are so many choices we need to make every day, living in a culture with a stunning number of options that is unprecedented in human history. That first day, I could feel the burden of how many choices how many decisions I had to make, and how much simpler it was to move forward on the second day when the choice was clear. And that same burden of choice follows us throughout our normal life. Should I go this way? Should I go that way? Should I decide to do this? Should I decide to do that? While some of the choices feel nice, Isn't it amazing that you can get 80,000 possible drink combinations at Starbucks? The cumulative effect of how many decisions we make each day, both small and significant, can become exhausting and affect our quality of life in substantial ways. And it affects us as individuals and as a society as well. The more exhausted we are by making the small choices, the less energy we have for the big ones that really matter to our lives. And when that exhaustion becomes the norm, out of personal power and collective power, decisions get made for us and we don't have the energy to say no. And that's very concerning for all of us. We're very much aware these days of what it feels like when our choices are limited. The pandemic brought a dramatic shift in what we were able to do with travel, entertainment, seeing our family and friends. And of course, there are many countries in the world in which people do not have nearly the choices that we have. The thing is, choice has a bell curve effect. If we're too restricted, if we have too many limitations, if we're unable to make important decisions affecting our own lives, that can lead to a lot of unhappiness. Choice enables people to get what they need and want in life. Whereas many needs are universal, such as food, shelter, medical care, social support, education, much of what we need to flourish is highly individualized. Choice allows us to express our identity, to show who we are and what we care about whether it's our clothing choices, our home furnishings, our friends, our partner, choice gives us tremendous freedom and pleasure in our lives. And it enables us to feel sovereignty over our destiny. But on the other side of the bell curve, if we have too many choices, 
we can be miserable, just as I felt constantly navigating all the confusing and overwhelming GPS directions on the first day of my trip. And we don't often talk about having too many choices. We always assume choice is good. And that's why I want to bring a little bit of attention to that other side of the bell curve today. When we're presented with hundreds of choices to make in a day, some small, some life-changing, it can take a huge amount of our time, energy, and mental focus to process huge amounts of information that comes at us, some of it quite useless, really. It can create stress and anxiety. What do I choose? Did I make the right choice? And the more choices we need to make, the more likely it is that we're going to make some bad ones. Or perhaps we just get overloaded and don't even make any decision at all, just carrying on day after day. I was reminded of a favorite book, The Paradox of Choice by Barry Schwartz. Barry does a great job of breaking down a lot of ideas about how and why we make the choices we do, how it affects us, and by looking at this more closely, how we can get out of that overwhelm and start to make better decisions for ourselves, for our families, and the world. I really wanted to share some of these ideas with you today, so let's dive in. I really do recommend the book, as we'll only get an overview of all the nuances that he discusses. How overwhelming is daily life? Barry starts out talking about a simple trip to a moderately sized grocery store. I'm going to read just a little of it because I think it's really comical. He says, my neighborhood supermarket is not a particularly large store. And yet scanning the shelves, I found 85 different varieties and brands of crackers. Next to the crackers were 285 varieties of cookies. Among chocolate chip cookies, there were 21 options. Among goldfish, and I don't know whether to count them as cookies or crackers, there were 20 different varieties to choose from. Across the aisle were juices, 13 sports drinks, 65 box drinks for kids, 85 other flavors and brands of juices, 75 iced teas and adult drinks. I could get these tea drinks sweetened, either with sugar or artificial sweetener, lemoned, and flavored. Next, in the snack aisle, there were 95 options in all. Chips, either taco or potato, ridged and flat, flavored and unflavored, salted and unsalted, high-fat, low-fat, no-fat, pretzels, and the like, including a dozen variety of Pringles. Nearby was seltzer, no doubt to wash down the snacks. Bottled water was displayed in at least 15 flavors. In the pharmaceutical aisle, I found 61 varieties of suntan oil and sunblock and 80 different pain relievers, aspirin, acetaminophen, ibuprofen, 350 milligrams or 500, caplets, capsules, tablets, coated, uncoated. There were 40 options of toothpaste, 150 lipsticks, 75 eyeliners, and 90 colors of nail polish just from one brand alone. Well, he goes on like this for a bit, but you get the idea. And if you're health conscious, as I am, you either spend a lot of time reading labels or you just keep picking the same brands, which is mostly what I do. For reference, when the magazine Consumer Reports was first founded, it did things like compare the advantages of grade A milk over grade B milk. Now, buying groceries is just one small part of our lives, and it isn't usually impactful if we buy a certain cracker and don't like it. But we do multiply this complexity out to everything we do every day, and the stakes get higher, both financially and psychologically. Choosing a phone, a computer, an internet provider, our doctors, a medical plan, a retirement plan, a car, a home, an education. There's so much to research, so much to figure out. It can get so overwhelming that we may not even make a choice at all. Some of the biggest decisions of our lives never get made. That's how strong our overwhelm can be. We might, for example, stay in a bad relationship for years simply because we're too overwhelmed to take the steps 
needed to make a different choice. Our culture sanctifies freedom of choice so profoundly that the benefits of infinite options are something we just assume as a given. In study after study, we see that when people are presented with too many choices, a substantial number of people tend to pull back and make no choice at all. And there are so many studies on these kinds of things because the entire goal of marketing is to determine exactly how to present you with the right number of choices in the right way to get you to buy what they want to sell. They bombard us with messages to make us long for what they have to make us consume more and more. And while we may be happy to have so many choices for pivotal important things, it is the cumulative effect of the many choices that we have to make every day that turns it into, as economist Fred Hirsch calls it, the tyranny of small decisions. Having so many choices presented to us can lead to regret, missed opportunities, raised expectations, feelings of inadequacy in comparison with others, even anxiety and depression. We can completely lose sight of our true needs, which get lost in a flood of temptations. For most of human history, this did not exist. The choice was take it or leave it. And in times of scarcity or in wilderness settings, we were grateful for anything we could get that would help us survive. All we had to think about was, will this nourish me? Will it keep me warm? Will it keep me safe? As we saw in last week's interview with Wonia Tebo from the show Alone on the History Channel, there's a great simplicity and profound joy that comes from such a life. We're sacrificing so much through wanting, through longing. We buy a new laptop, and then we see that someone else got a better one. Our child just finished college, hooray, but the neighbor's son got into an Ivy League grad school. On and on. When we can go online and buy practically anything in the world, we feel that we should. Social media gives us the illusion of more choices than we realistically have. I'll just search one more website and then I'll find the perfect thing. And then an hour or a day of our life goes by. And sometimes we can ignore the fine print in the decisions we make because there simply isn't time to process everything, and that can lead us into trouble later. Too many choices sap our time and causes us to spend money on many things we don't need. Now, more than 50% of Americans carry credit card debt, 17% carry student loan debt that never goes away, and 77% of us pay rent or have mortgage debt. And then, of course, there's the storage fees to pay to store all the stuff that we bought that we don't have room for. It's tremendously counter to the American experience to say, be satisfied with less. But at some point, enough is enough. Our entire economy is based on the acquisition of the most enticing products. And it's even more so when we have children. Not only do we have so many more decisions to make, but we feel protective of them. We love them, so we want the best for them. A parent rarely says, I only want the good enough for my children. But the planet cannot sustain endless consumerism, and we're scouring the planet for the best of the best, often to the detriment of the environment or any local people that might be in the way of what we want to take. The most important area in which we need to be aware of all this is with our children, to raise them to be able to make good, healthy choices. We're not always conscious of what drives our choices in ourselves, and we have to extend that to being even more conscious about what drives our children's choices. And of course, I don't mean deciding for them. I mean teaching them healthy self-worth, teaching them that they deserve to speak up for themselves, teaching them the abilities to navigate the best possible life for themselves, but also the ability to discern what best is 
and that it's a combination of factors, as we've discussed here. I learned two lessons from my father, one good one and one that he didn't intend that was not so good. If I may, I'd like to share them with you. My father taught me a wonderful lesson in speaking up for myself that served me all my life. I was in the first grade, so I was probably seven years old. I had some problem at school. I don't really remember what it was, but it was something that troubled me. He said, I'm not going to talk to your teacher for you. You need to do that. But let's sit down together and figure out what you want to say. So I learned at a very young age how to articulate my concerns, how to solve problems, how to ask for what I want. And that was something that he reinforced until it stuck. And it was life-changing. And I encourage every parent to do it. It's so important for a child to be able to speak up and say what it is that they want. The second lesson about choices came unintentionally, and it was something that I had to work to overcome. My parents divorced when I was quite young. My father had a lot of guilt over it, and so they separated very gradually. It actually took a few years because he couldn't face up to his guilt. He disengaged from the family little by little. He was in grad school at the time, and at one point he said to my mother that he needed to get a room closer to school because he couldn't concentrate on studying with a child in the house making noise. Well, that was just an excuse, but in that moment, little Camille figured out that their divorce was all her fault and she'd better be a perfect little girl so that daddy would come back. Now, this may seem like a crazy thing from an adult perspective, but from a psychological standpoint, I promise you, this is what kids do. Their worlds are still very small and they think they are the center of it. They don't have the concept of anything beyond that. So that's where those words landed for me. Well, fast forward a few years after the divorce and I'm still trying to be the perfect little girl especially for dad. I was with him on a weekend visit and it's lunchtime. We go into the fridge and he asks, what do you want for lunch? A ham sandwich or a turkey sandwich? And I don't quite know how I remember this, but I do remember feeling absolutely stricken in that moment. What is the right answer? What if I get it wrong? Will daddy come back if I choose the right one? I don't know why in my little kid brain that I was actually conscious of this thought process, but I was. Never mind that it was just a sandwich. Never mind that there was plenty for both of us, so my choice wouldn't influence anyone but me. Never mind that he had bought both, so he probably liked both of them. My little kid brain actually thought that my parents' entire relationship rested on my choice of lunch meat. Now, again, that may seem crazy, but if you are a perfectionist or if you're someone paralyzed by making choices or someone who cannot stand up for yourself, then you may have some unconscious drivers from something in your past that you may want to explore. And I bring this up in the context of children here because so often parents say things in front of their children thinking that they're too young to understand. But that lack of understanding is exactly the concern. Children cannot understand the big picture. They don't have all the information and they don't have the logic and skills. But their minds still seek meaning. They seek to understand things. Children want to learn about the world and understand. And so the things that children make up in their heads can be very convoluted and it can stick with them for a lifetime. So please watch how your children respond to the world. Talk to them, ask them what they think and feel about things that are happening, especially if there's conflict in the home. What they make up in their heads, their perceptions of the situations might really surprise you. Children in our society are facing so many challenges 
the world has become a very confusing place. They need our insights and guidance more than ever. In one study, children were asked if they felt life was harder now than it was for their parents. 43% of kids said yes, but when it was broken down by socioeconomic group, it was 50% of affluent kids that said yes. They specifically said that there were too many decisions, too many activities, and too much to learn. They felt the pressure not to fall behind the constant competition with their peers on every level. And with social media, they can always find someone who's better, someone who's smarter, someone who's prettier, someone else who's accomplished something amazing. And they compare themselves to all of it. The place we tend to maximize most is with our kids and they feel the pressure. Expectations are high and the combination of overachievement with the anything's possible attitude of affluence drives this. When anything is possible, everything becomes an expectation. The best way to move forward is not to fall back, it's true, but perhaps we need to redefine what it means to fall back. Raising a child who's burdened by expectations that life feels impossible is not doing them a service. It's not helping them to have a happy and fulfilling life. And it is, if anything, hampering their success. To do better for our children, we first need to understand and do better for ourselves. But there are some very straightforward solutions. In talking about all of this, I'm again reminded of my drive last week that started me thinking about all of this in the first place. Sometimes when I really went astray on my trip, my GPS would just start repeating to me over and over and over, proceed to the root, proceed to the root, proceed to the root. It was so frustrating in the moment. I'm trying, I'm trying, where is the root? If I knew where it was, I would certainly be on it. But again, as a metaphor for life, wouldn't it be nice if anytime we made a bad decision, a voice would sound telling us, proceed to the root? Well, since we don't have that, let's look at what solutions we can come up with. Let's take a break here and we'll be right back. This is Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. Today we're talking about the choices we make and especially a very interesting book, The Paradox of Choice by Barry Schwartz. So what are some of the solutions to these issues we've discussed? 
Barry talks about people who have a drive to maximize. And he compares this to people who have a certain standard. And when they find something that meets that standard, they're satisfied and they make their choice. I think this is a very powerful concept. A maximizer will research everything they can to find the best of the best. That's exhausting. It's time consuming. But more than that, it has consequences psychologically. It can cause us to be dissatisfied with what we have because there's always something better. It can mean that we drive ourselves and everyone around us to do more and buy more. It can mean that we are nagged by the options we didn't investigate or the ones we did investigate but didn't choose. It means that decisions not only require more effort, but it makes mistakes more likely to happen. And it makes the psychological consequences of mistakes more severe. The mistakes loom larger and last longer in our minds. We generate if-onlys indefinitely, and it can mean that we never really commit to anything, even a relationship. And if we are in a relationship, it can breed mistrust because we can assume that our partner has the same thoughts. We assume that, like us, they're constantly looking to trade up. A maximizer may think that anything less is just settling, that others just don't have as high a standard for themselves. But again, we need to look at what motivates us. Are we being driven by something in our past that makes us feel that we're not good enough? We have to look at our time, our energy, and our peace of mind as factors too. We need to maximize those as well. Setting a standard and being satisfied with that standard is acknowledging the cost of endless searching. In the end, maximizers have more beautiful things, but they're less likely to enjoy what they have. Herbert Simon, a Nobel Prize winning economist and psychologist, initially introduced this idea in the 1950s. He suggested that when all the costs, such as time, money, stress, and dissatisfaction, are factored in, that being satisfied is, in fact, the maximizing strategy. People with high maximization scores experience less satisfaction with life, were less happy, were less optimistic, and were more depressed than people with low maximization scores. They asked people how sad they felt, how much satisfaction they got out of various activities, how much interest they had in other people, and what they thought of their appearance, among other things. He found that maximizers savor positive events less, and by their own admission, do not cope as well with negative events. After something bad happens to them, Maximizer's sense of well-being takes longer to recover. They tend to brood or ruminate more. And for maximizers, every option has the potential to snare the person into endless tangles of anxiety, regret, and second-guessing. But when you examine an object and it's good enough to meet your standards, you look no further. Then the countless other available choices become irrelevant. The key is to consciously and intentionally figure out our goals, evaluate the importance of each goal, survey the reasonable options, evaluate how likely each of the options is to meet the goals, and then choose. Later, use the consequences of the choice to adapt and modify goals for the future. Decide who you wanna be in the world and then only make the choices that support that. Say no to everything that isn't relevant to who you are. And remember always that time, our own time and the time of people we care about is the most precious commodity that we have.
Now, our book also looks a lot at the psychology of how we make choices. I found it fascinating to read, and I want to just take a quick look at a few of the key points. First, there's the psychology of loss and gain. In many studies, people are much less willing to give up something they have, even if it's in exchange for something of equal value that they don't have yet. This is the reason that some people have such a hard time with clutter. It's hard to get rid of the things you have, even if given the chance to buy it again, we wouldn't. Have you ever gotten a gift you didn't really like, but then found it difficult to give it away? Even if it's something we never would have bought for ourselves, and we know that the person who gave it to us would never know, we have an intrinsic aversion to loss, the bird in the hand thing. In a study, people who were offered a car fully loaded with options were offered the chance to eliminate options to save money. Another group was offered a more basic vehicle and then asked what they wanted to add. Even though the options and their costs were the same for both groups, the group that had to give things up ended up with significantly more than the group who were asked to add things as they went along. Marketers use this concept all the time. Don't lose out on these important savings. That would be a loss for you when we really would just save more by ignoring them completely. Aversion to loss is so strong that we'll continue to throw money, effort, and precious time into situations that are clearly not giving returns just because we don't want to acknowledge the loss. Think of someone who's repeatedly borrowed money without paying it back. Somehow we don't want to admit to ourselves that they'll never do it, so we just pretend and keep lending them more. Next, gains and losses are measured proportionally. We're more aware of small losses and gains than we are of small differences in big ones. Say we have an unexpected repair on the house. It costs $100 and we weren't expecting that charge. We feel it, ouch, $100 gone. But we don't have the same proportionate feeling about the difference between a repair that costs $2,500 compared to one costing $2,600. In this case, the $100 difference just kind of gets lost and we barely even feel it. Similarly, on the gain side, we notice the small gains. We may be more comfortable with the small gains and not even appreciate the bigger ones, even when they're right there in front of us. And again, putting this in monetary terms is only one example of a gain. The gains could be in job advancement, better relationships, and more. We want to make sure that there aren't gains and losses that we aren't even noticing. Another factor is how much of a difference does this gain or loss make in our lives? $100 is a lot of money to some, and to others, it's not so much. Some people may, for example, be in so much debt that they're numb to sinking further, and that's a very dangerous place to be. Likewise, losing a friend is a sad thing, but if we have many friends, we fill the void in time. But if that was our only close friend, it's a difficult thing indeed. Another thing to look at is how advertising and media really affects us. Advertisers saw even back in the 1930s that most people often couldn't tell a lot of difference between certain products, such as a cigarette. So they started marketing a lifestyle, a package, a target audience. Buy this and it will make you more glamorous or more manly or more appealing to the opposite sex. One of the first things that you're taught in any business or marketing seminar is to identify your target audience. And it's so important not to fall for that, not to base our choices on that, not to consume more because of that. If a new outfit makes you happy, great. But we don't want to be on the treadmill of fashion getting rid of clothes because they're so last year. 
Marketers also know that given a choice, we will choose what's familiar. Our brains are wired that way. It's actually a survival mechanism. So they'll repeat something over and over until their product feels familiar and we gravitate to it. The issue is that this is being used so universally now. It's even used in politics. If we see someone's name often enough, we choose it. If we hear an ad for a proposition often enough, vote no on Prop 12, for example, some people may do it without fully investigating the issues. Would Arnold Schwarzenegger have been elected governor of California if he didn't have the name recognition and that branding as a superhero? We have to be very careful how our minds are being swayed, especially now that computer bots have the capacity to create unprecedented levels of repetition and AI can create illusions on a level that never before existed. Our book discusses that it isn't just repetition that influences us. It's how vivid the experience is and how relevant it is to our own experience. This is used in politics and the media all the time. When we see vivid images in a news story, it stays with us. It influences us. And if it is particularly relevant to us, if it happens close to home or to people we identify with in some way, it stays with us. And this idea is used all the time to scare us into certain opinions, to influence our decisions. And we need to discern what is real and what is truly relevant. There's so much false information out there, and it really is worth the time to figure out what is real and what isn't. Did you know, for example, that there's a website called Conservapedia? They use the same open source software that was used to create Wikipedia. So it looks just like our familiar online encyclopedia. But it has created a whole alternate history of the world. If people see that as fact, if they see the familiar presentation and read what's written there, it's easy to have a very different and very biased perspective of the world. And people think and vote accordingly. Repeat lies until they become truth. Very George Orwell. Let's take another break here. This is Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You. When we come back, we can look at more strategies for better choices. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. Birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. We're talking today about the paradox of choice, the burden that too many choices can present. Another big factor here is commitment to commit with our whole hearts to our big decisions and to look back without 
regret. The American Psychological Association has a measurement tool called the regret scale. Here are some of the questions. See how these statements stack up for you. Once I make a decision, I don't look back. Whenever I make a choice, I'm curious about what would have happened if I'd chosen differently. If I make a choice and it turns out well, I still feel like something of a failure if I find out that another choice would have turned out better. Whenever I make a choice, I try to get information about how the other alternatives turned out. When I think about how I'm doing in life, I often assess opportunities I've passed up. So what do we know about regret? Studies show that we tend to regret actions that we do take that don't turn out well, more than we regret not taking action that would have turned out well. Again, we care more about losing what we have than we care about gaining what we don't have. Also, we regret bad choices more in the short term and missed opportunities more in the long term. A bad relationship stings now. We feel the could have beens much later. If we don't close the door on the decisions we've made, what we failed to do in the past looms larger and larger with time. Another important factor is how close did reality come to what we desired? We don't care as much about the missed relationship if we're happily married to someone else. We don't long for the financial opportunity that was missed if we're prosperous enough without it. Next, by how much did we miss the goal? Say two people are headed to the airport and their flights leave at the same time. There's an accident and they both arrive at the airport 30 minutes late. The first person is told that their flight left on time and they could not have made the flight by any means. Person B is told that their flight had also been delayed because the pilot was caught in the same traffic jam and the doors had just closed five minutes ago. Person A is more likely to set about the business of getting a new flight and moving on. Person B will ruminate over the missed opportunities. If only I had left 10 minutes earlier. If only the security line had moved faster. If only, if only. And we do this a lot in life. One study measured the satisfaction of Olympic athletes. Bronze medalists overall were more satisfied with their performance than silver medalists. Bronze medalists are thrilled to be up on the podium at all. Silver medalists wonder what could have been, if only. Another factor is how responsible were you for the choice? The more freedom we had in making the choice, the more potential regret. The more options we have, we not only increase the probability of a bad choice, the more we feel that we could have done it differently. We can also consider our imaginations. How active and creative do we tend to be in conjuring imaginary scenarios that are more successful than the one we chose? Some people are just better at it than others. These scenarios can be triggered by unpleasant outcomes or the anticipation of an unpleasant outcome. They can be a mix of things we can control and those we can't. If only I had left five minutes earlier and not had that accident. We have aversion to regrets and can base our decisions accordingly. And the regrets can cause us not to act at all in the future. Another factor is the investment we made in making the decision. The more time, energy, and money that we put into a certain course of action, the more reluctant we are to give up on it. We don't want to admit we were wrong. This can be good if there are ways to improve the situation, such as positively working through problems in a marriage. But it's bad if there are no positive outcomes in sight and we're simply staying 
because we're habituated to the situation and we don't want to change. We don't want to lose what we've created. We do this with so many decisions. We might stay in a career we hate because we have invested time and training for it. We might continue to trust someone who's proven to be untrustworthy just because we hope to get back from them the time, energy, or money that we've already invested. In focusing on the past loss, we give up potential future gains. When we have no choice, we may feel frustration or disappointment, but we don't feel regret. Regret comes from wishing we had made a different choice. Like every emotion, regret has an upside. The anticipation of it may help us look more closely at our options. And of course, that can be healthy. We might refine our decision to achieve the better outcome. Secondly, the feeling is positive if it means we've learned something and do things differently next time. It can cause us to reverse a bad decision, which is a good thing, if we actually take action rather than just ruminate on it. Next, regret signals to others who are impacted by our decision that we care, that it matters, that we will try to do things differently in the future. The issue is not to be plagued with regret, with what could have been. We have to do more than make a choice. We must use the new opportunity wisely. They ask, what if? And wonder, if only. If we can truly believe that we made the best decision we could, with what we knew at the time, we're way ahead. Another key issue is adaptation, our ability to roll with whatever life brings and make the most of whatever our situation is. Truly, it's one of the most important life skills, and it is a skill. It's one that needs to be developed. The more we learn about ourselves, about those around us and the world, and the more emotional intelligence we bring to situations, the better we are at navigating and optimizing the choices that we have made, the better off we are. Another aspect of choice that's important is accountability. We've begun to live in a culture that's lost that. Whether it's the habit of ghosting people and situations at the slightest hint of discomfort, or whether it's rampant corruption on the part of politicians and business leaders, we have disconnected choice from result, action from consequence. And that's a terrible disservice to our communities and to our society. And we need to bring back a sense of collective power. In hundreds of studies, it's been shown that people who feel their actions, their choices don't matter, will give up. In psych terms, it's called learned helplessness. Learned helplessness can affect future motivation to try. It can affect future ability to detect that you do have control in new situations. It can even suppress our immune system. And in some people, it even leads to profound clinical depression. We lose our sovereignty. It's not an exaggeration to say that our most fundamental sense of well-being crucially depends on our having the ability to exert control over our environment and recognizing that we do have that. And this can apply to our political and economic system. Do we feel as though our vote makes a difference? Do we feel that changing jobs will make a difference? In a poll in 1966, only 9% of people felt left out of the things going on around them and felt that what they thought didn't matter. These days in elections, between 35 and 60% of people don't even bother to vote. So I will say this, your voice matters. You matter. You make a difference. Collectively, we make a difference. So how can we sum this up? The Nobel Prize winning economist and philosopher Amartya Sen suggests that instead of being focused on freedom of choice, we should ask ourselves whether it nourishes us or deprives us, whether it makes us mobile or hems us in. 
whether it enhances self-respect or diminishes it, whether it enables us to participate in our communities or prevents us from doing so. Freedom is essential to self-respect, participation in the community, mobility, and nourishment. But those are the choices that enhance freedom. So what can we do? Well, first of all, choose when to choose. Know that time is a resource and recognize the stress of too many options. Know when to stop. Choose how to choose. What really are the needs rather than the wants? Why are we making a choice? What are the goals? How does the choice serve our lives and the lives of our loved ones? Does a choice need to even be made at all? Make sure expectations are realistic. Let's be satisfied with the choices we've made rather than looking for more choices. Focus on what's best for you and your loved ones, not what other people do or have or think. Once we've made a decision, go all in. Let go of the what ifs. If the decision turns out not to be a good one, refine, course correct when the time comes. Anticipate that that's the nature of life to learn and adjust and adapt. Work through any regrets that you do have. Make good on them if you can. Missed opportunities can't come back, but pay attention to the message that regret is giving you. What shift is needed? Accept the choices you did make. Accept that you made the best choices that you could with what you knew and the resources you had. You have no idea what would have happened if you'd taken the other road. Maybe you wouldn't have met some of the most important people in your life. Or you might have had some tragedy happen that would have never occurred because you are where you are. Again, don't let regrets poison you. Look at the positive trade-offs. A committed relationship may limit our option to one person, but the joy is worth it. Charles Bukowski said, when no one wakes you up in the morning, and no one waits for you at night, and you can do whatever you want, what do you call it? Freedom or loneliness? Give kids sovereignty, some level of control, and if there are areas of your own life in which you aren't being proactive, start today. Understand the ramifications of our choices, personally, in our communities, and globally. And allow for magic to happen. Allow for possibility. There's the saying that all's well that ends well. And if it hasn't ended well, maybe this isn't the end yet. Well, those are my thoughts for today. And I hope this has been a good opportunity to reflect upon choices and move forward with what's in your heart. This is Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Healthy Wealthy You. Have a question but weren't able to get on the show today? Join us next week and call in. Until then, hold that inspiration.